0: Amen, right on. So like I said, we've been in this this series for a couple weeks and it kind of works like this uh, if you haven't been with us. The scripture says that Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. One way of saying that is that Jesus came to give us life and, uh, or Jesus came to show us how to live and show us how to live better. Like he came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. But one of the ways that he did that was just coming and saying like, hey, uh, you may have heard it said this way or some say it's better to be this way. But Jesus came and said like, hey, don't do it like that because it's better to do it like this. And so he came as God and lived among us and said, hey, let's not do it that way. Let's do it this way. It's the better way to live. And so essentially he kind of showed us like, you know what, there's, a, there's like a zone that we can live in. There's like laws and principles and things that God put in place that if we live in this zone, the fruit of that is so much better than if we live the way that just the world told us to, or maybe society or culture or others, or the way we just were brought up. Uh, It's just better to live in the God zone, like the way that God called us to live. And so last week we talked specifically about kind of just looking at what the zone means for you. How do you write it out? What are your goals? What are your vision for the zone? Do you have a plan? Do you know what your zone looks like? And then today I wanna talk specifically, and for many of us, it'll be kind of a reminder. uh, And we said that too last week, like Paul would write in his writings, hey, I know you already know this stuff, but let me exhort you anyway. Let me remind you, let me re-encourage you about the importance of this thing. We say this all the time here too. The largest gap in the world is between what we know to do and what we actually do. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff that we know we need to do uh, that we're not very good at making sure we do. But if we could close that gap uh, we would just see a lot more success. And so that's kind of what today is. Like, hey, we all know this, but it's really good if we make sure we're spending some time focusing on it, making it priority in our life, kind of closing that gap between what we know to do and, and what we you know kind of don't do. And so today, that's kind of my encouragement to you is like, let, let's let today be, as I kind of prayed, like a tune-up, just a reminder of some of the really important things that we face. And, uh, and so that's the zone we're gonna talk about. I was in a meeting this week and I heard a statistic that, that really just kind of blew my mind. So check this out about American culture. Uh, We have never had bigger homes, average size homes. The average size home is bigger than it's ever been. The cars are bigger, faster, smarter than they've ever been. We have more channels, we have more websites, we have more data, we have more information than we've ever had. We have more opportunities uh, to travel. So airfare and places you can go and resorts you can stay and things that you can access, you have more luxury than you've ever had before. Uh, Literally right now, if you know where your next meal is coming from, meaning like you leave here and you have the opportunity to go eat something and you know where that's gonna come from, you're in like the top 5% in the world. Isn't that crazy? Like it's just crazy when you think uh, that literally you know that you can go home and you have a pantry it's just insane. And so we we're so blessed in terms of like where our food comes from and resources and things we can guarantee, uh, songs and movies and entertainment and all of the things are at all time highs. We've never had more. You've never had easier access. You are essentially more blessed than we've ever been as not just American culture, but any culture in the history of the world, Okay. But statistically, last year, we closed as a country uh, with more suicides than we've ever had. We've had more people addicted, bound by an addiction, a drug addiction, than we've ever had. We've had uh, more overdoses. So you take we have the most suicides we've ever had as a country and the most people losing their lives to drug overdoses than we've ever had. And then you have people that are stuck in an addiction, kind of in the middle of both of those, that essentially aren't enjoying their life either at that time. Are you with me? And then we also have the most amount of homes we've ever had without fathers in them. Which, if you start to study the data of what that happens, what that does to homes. And to... So you've never been more blessed as a country... We've never been more privileged. We've never had more opportunity. We've never had more access. And yet something in many of us are saying, it's so not right that we're taking our lives. We're trying to numb the pain or we're just overdosing. Or we're saying, I don't want to be a part of it. And fathers are leaving the homes and all this kind of stuff. We're way out of the zone. Amen. We are way out of the zone We're so blessed, we're so uh, set up, we're so equipped, I believe, by God. We're so blessed, and yet we've allowed ourselves to walk so far out of the zone. Why is that? How did we get there? I mean, if you sat down in this room, and I literally went row upon row, and we had an adult conversation, and I said, like, really, why are we here? Why is this happening? Like, why is our culture running themselves into the ground when they should be celebrating all that they have? Why are we doing this? And I believe it's because we've gotten so far from the zone that God called us to be in. And and a big part of that zone is, of course, our relationship with God and right standing with God. And and we know that as Christians. But I think a piece that I want to talk about today is the mindset of what we're in it for, what we're doing here. The Great Commission, and we're going to talk about some things that that Jesus called us to do. And one of them, and, and I've been saying it for a few weeks, is is this great commission where Jesus says, hey, before I go, I got to tell you something really important. And he says, before I got to go, I got to go to heaven. I got to go be with my father. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who's the helper. He says, but this really important thing you need to know before I go. And he's like this, go into all the world. He tells you what your zone is. Go into all the world and preach and love and reach people. Amen. That's like your zone. That's what we're doing here. So when we've created a zone that's more cars, more houses, more stuff, more vacation, more, and we've made our zone actually all about like pleasing ourselves, no wonder we're not happy. No wonder we're not satisfied. No wonder. Amen. So it's saying, hey, the zone, the happy place, if you will, is when we have a life lived for others with a mindset of like, hey, that's what it's about. Jesus says, hey, before I go, this is a really important thing you got to remember. It's about them. Amen? The truth is, and and some of this, again, is just me reminding you, some of this you've heard from me even before. Uh, But here's the deal. We're so drawn to the hero story. Superman, Spider-Man, all those kind of action movies, those are the blockbuster movies that we make. They they gross us the most amount of money. They bring us in the most profit, all these kinds of things. Why? Because we as a culture, we're drawn to the hero story. Why? Because God wired you to be somebody who goes out and wins back what's been stolen. Amen? And so in us is this like, hey, we got to do that. So when we've turned it on ourselves, when it's about our pleasure and our enjoyment and our, and listen, I'm, listen, <clears throat> I'm not against vacation. I'm not against, <clears throat> we're gonna go, my wife and I, for our 10 year anniversary, we're gonna go visit Irma on Tuesday <laughs> and then we're gonna be at Disney World, that's the truth. Uh, so no, don't, don't be sad, I'm excited. <laughs> I don't have, I'll sit in a hurricane to be gone from here. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> not church, you guys are ridiculous not church i mean zealand um kind of so i'm not against vacation i'm literally going to be at disney world this week okay so i'm not here to be that like we should all sell our cars and be poor i'm not that's not this sermon but what i'm saying is when you wake up and you hunger and thirst for something for yourself instead of god's righteousness and his way of living then we've missed the zone And so what we're seeing here is there's this draw to be the hero, but you can't wake up and say, today, I'm going to pull somebody from a burning building. Today, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to save somebody from a car crash. You can't wake up and make that decision, but you can wake up every day and say, you know what? Today, spiritually, I'm going to pull somebody from spiritual wreckage. I'm going to pray for somebody. I'm going to reach out to somebody. I'm going to listen to somebody in a way that sends them like love. Amen? You can be a hero to somebody if we put them first. The scripture says that God called us to be. He said, hey, you want to do this whole thing with me? You want to be a part of this whole thing? Here's what I'm going to call you to be. I'm going to call you to be fishers of men, like people who go out and make an effort to catch people. Do we do that in our life? Do we make an effort like, hey, today I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go out in a way that I catch somebody, that I reel them in, that I bring them to a place that, amen, that needs to be our mindset and our calendars and in our time is like, hey, I know that today my life is meant to be out there reaching somebody for the gospel of Jesus. Amen. I love this thought. We believe that the church doesn't need a mission. We believe this as a church, that that the church doesn't need a mission. Rather, the mission needs a church. Therefore, our mission is to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Command of Jesus Christ, which is Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. We don't need like a new catchphrase. We don't need a new strategy. We just got to go out and be the church to Jesus' mission. Amen. I love this in Mark or Matthew 25 or 28, 19 through 20. It says, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Like that's what it's all about. It boils down to this, like our zone and our effort and what we set our target on is to going out and discipling people, getting them, baptized, them, fill them with the Holy Spirit, get them equipped to live the way God called them to live. Amen, Amen? that's our zone. Uh, Ed Stetzer has some great research about why it really matters. And uh, he says this, and many of you have probably heard me say this before, but he says, in the United States... There are far more church buildings than number of McDonald's, Starbucks, and Dunkin' Donut stores combined, giving the impression that there's a church facility on every corner and plenty of room for anyone who wants to take part. In reality, if the entire population of more than 300 million Americans wanted to go to an established church, including those that meet in storefronts, rented school facilities, and the like, more than half would be turned away, even if every church held three weekend services. So if all of America gets inspired, they all heard from God and they all decide to go to church next Sunday, we aren't prepared to reach them. Amen? Does that make sense? You with me? So right now, so what it's saying is, what has been said for quite a long time is the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So the zone of people saying, you know what? I'm ready to fish for them. I'm ready to catch them. I'm ready to reach them and and be there for them. We're missing about half of those to be able to do what God's called us to do just here in America. So we got a lot of work to do. There's There's this data from Barna Research Group that I want to share with you. They broke up two different categories. See, we think we live in America and everybody's a Christian and all this kind of stuff and everything's all put together, and you're going to see in a minute that that, that's actually kind of true, but check this out. There's this data that's called post-Christian. They broke people up into some categories about how they believe in God or how they are Christ followers, and one is called post christian And that means that somebody, they either went to church growing up or they were exposed to church or they were once a part of church and uh, they've decided to walk away. So they had an experience at one point and either they got hurt or something didn't work for them or they got into a relationship that pulled them away or whatever happened, they're post-Christian, they've decided to step away, they're out uh, and they don't have a connection to church. In Grand Rapids, our metro, so 1 million people in a 30-mile radius, are sort of reach here, if you will, our net to cast. Uh, Grand Rapids comes in as the 60th most post-Christian city in the nation. 60th out of all the cities. Uh, everybody says about Grand Rapids, oh, there's a church on every corner. Uh, when we planted this church here a few years ago, uh, they said, oh, you're planting a church in that area? That's like Jerusalem, like G-R, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It's like so churchy, it's Jerusalem but the data just didn't prove that. It didn't show that. We've had such a growth in this area uh, that there's great need, you know? Uh, and so that's one. So check this out. Uh, of the post-Christian, of the one million in Grand Rapids, of those that are post-Christian, so they've, they've checked the data, 33% of those. So you go out and you take a look around, those in, uh, around us, 33%. So you're looking at like 300,000 people have said, I'm out on church, I'm out of the zone, I don't wanna know about it, I don't wanna hear about it, I've disconnected, there are people that we need to reach, amen? The second data that they consider, the other class that they put together uh, is called the churchless group. And so this is somebody who's had no experience with church. Of course, they've been to a wedding or they've been to a funeral. They've been in a church before. They've heard some stories. But they never had a season of being connected to a church or raised in church. Uh, the Grand Rapids data on that one is we come in at 46th in the country of people who are churchless. That brings us in at 36% of our 1 million population, according to the Barner Research Group. So what they tell you to do is if you take these two numbers and kind of put them together and then find the middle. So for us, you're putting together 36 and 33%. Even if we call that like a middle of 45%, we're talking almost a half a million people. Now when they do data research too, they're only polling adults. So you have for every home, the national average is 2.5 kids. So you're talking about almost a million people in our area are either walked away from church or churchless. That's crazy. We need to reach people. This is a churchy community. <laughs> we need to reach people. We, we need to go out and make sure we're living the Great Commission. Our zone is that we're about people. And if we don't, you will, see, you will continue to see suicide rise, drug addiction rise, overdose rise. Why? Because they don't know what they're living for. Amen? And so it's important that we get there. So here's the deal. Uh, We've said this before. Uh, What does that mean for us as a church? Well, it means for us as a church uh, that we don't stay where we are. Two years ago, when we went from one service to two services, we used this terminology that we said we can't stay here. Like we just can't stay here because the truth is neutral is not natural to God. To just put it in neutral and stay where you are and just be at a coast—that's not how God works. The Scripture says that God goes from glory; we go from glory to glory with God, meaning you're always taking a step into something better. And so we go, "Hey, we're so blessed that we made it to here. We're so blessed that God brought us to this, but we know we're not going to just stay here. We know that there's more for us." Amen. So what you do is you take a look around and you go, "Hey, party in the park sounds cool. Inflatables, some hot dogs, some hamburgers—that'd be a thing. That'd bless my family." Or We could look around and go, you know what? There's maybe about a million people, if you count adults and kids, that maybe that's the open door for them finding their zone. Maybe there's somebody at my work. Maybe there's somebody uh, that I'm connected to on Facebook that you've seen struggling. Instead of talking about them, we reach out to them, amen, and we get them to something like that. Why? Because God has called us to continually grow. Uh, We love to... talk about and we shout about and we get all excited about when we say God can do exceedingly abundantly above more than you could ask or think and we get real excited about that but the truth is about that is when God calls you to do exceedingly abundantly above and he's getting ready to give you that it's because it calls us to take a step of doing exceedingly abundantly more a step of more a step of like what more can I give what more can I give to God so that he can pour on me exceedingly abundantly amen And so in most cases, the greatest moves of God start when somebody was in a place that they said, hey, we can't stay here. Uh, You look at Noah and you look at Moses and David and Esther and all these people, their greatest promotion started with kind of their greatest problems. Oh, if we stay here, this isn't gonna work. And if we keep going like this, this isn't gonna work. And, and, And I believe it's the same thing. If we look at American culture and if we look at the data, we look at it and we go, hey, if we stay here, This isn't gonna work, we're not headed in a good place. So so we trust God and we pray and we ask him, how do we move from here to here, what's next? How do we get in the right zone, amen? And so I think those are the strong, heavy questions we need to ask ourselves. It's like, how do we fix this? Not how is the church gonna fix it? How is that gonna fix it? How how we, how am I gonna jump in and make a difference? Uh, There's this temptation that even happened for Peter You've heard me share this before. Matthew chapter 17, verse 4. Um, Peter says this, "'Lord, it is wonderful for us to be here. "'If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, "'one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah.'" So what happens is Jesus takes his guys up the mountain and they're up there and it's the Mount of Transfiguration. God, uh, there's this shining and it says their face shine bright like the star. There's basically this really cool moment, this miracle. And Peter says, man, this is so amazing. This is like the best. I'm so blessed right now. I'm so blessed. This is a move of God. This is such a thing. Uh, Hey, we should stay here. We should build memorials. We should just stay here. And isn't that our temptation as Christians too? God's blessed us. God showed us some amazing things. He's revealed himself. And we go, you know, man, that was so great. Let's just stay here. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just built a thing and we all just stayed in this and we just played together and we just had church for ourselves and we just stayed here. And Jesus is like, no, we don't stay here. We gotta go back down the mountain. Why? Because later for Peter, James, and John who went up with Jesus, later for them, they healed a crippled man. They raised a woman from the dead. There was so much more that happens after the encounter that God releases into you in it. I'm so glad you're blessed. I'm so glad that you're receiving. I'm so glad that we have all that we have, but we have to come off that mountain and go reach people. There's people that are dead that need to be raised. There's cripples that need to be healed, both literally and also just like emotionally that we got, it's not okay if we just try to stay here. Amen? We have to take a step. Uh, I believe this, uh, that God is looking for a church that's on a mission, that's behind the Great Commission, that's on the move. I've shared this picture with you a couple years ago. Uh, It's this battleship versus cruise ship, kind of made its way around Facebook in it. And it says this, like, which kind of church do you want to go to? Do you want to be on the battleship, making a difference out there targeting the enemy? Or do you just want to get on the cruise ship of church that you just enjoy each other and it's all you can eat and everything is lavish and you're spoiled, but it's all about yourself, amen? Or do you want to get out there and target the enemy? Do you want to have a mission? Do you want to have a plan? Do you want to have a strategy? Do you want to have information that says, hey, we're going to eliminate evil? Amen? We want to be a battleship church. Cruise ship church just kind of floats along its way and looks at things as it goes. But the battleship is like on a mission. It's targeted. It's in the zone. Amen? We have to be targeted. Uh, I thought about this, John chapter 15 in the message version. 11 through 14, it says this, I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do these things that I command you. So the scripture here is going like this. Listen, I want you to experience the same joy I'm experiencing. I want you to have it as good as I have it. Here's how you get that. You put your life on the line for somebody else because that's the best way to love somebody. It's to put your agenda down. It's to put your ideas down. It's to put all the things that you want to do for yourself and pick up for somebody else. Amen, quiet in here today. It's to say, hey, you know what? That's the best joyful living. That's the best kind of way to live. That's the best zone to be in is if we live a life that's laid down for somebody else. So what does that look like for you, maybe serving in your church? What does it look like for you to maybe adjust your calendar to be there for somebody else or to be a part of Kids Hope or to be a part of some of the things in the outreach center and what we do in our community? Or maybe you adjust your budget so that you can support something outside of yourself because Jesus says, hey, that's, that's the way to find full joy. It's the answer to the uh, suicide and the drug overdose. It's that missing piece of like my best kind of joy comes from a life lived for somebody else. Amen. The scripture says that there's this one story where this mom is there with her sons, and you guys probably know the story, but they start having this conversation with Jesus about, hey, how do you be great? Like, tell us the secret to being the greatest. I want to know how to be great. And it's simple. He's like, hey, you want to be great? You want to you want to kill it? You want to be winning at this thing? You want to be great? It didn't say like memorize your devotional. It didn't say, you know, download all the Jesus culture albums. (laughs) But it's like, hey, it didn't say any of those things. It said, hey, you want to be great? be a servant. One translation says, be a slave to somebody else. That's greatness. That's saying like all that I've been given, all that I have, I'm gonna make sure that I find joy in laying down my life for somebody else, meeting the need of somebody else, amen? And so Matthew chapter 18, verse 12 kind of really points out how serious this is. It says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go look for the one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Kind of the idea here is this, like, oh man, the one has wandered off. My heart is toward that one. Why? Because these ones are together. They're healthy. They're surrounded with each other. They're kind of in a pack. They're taken care of. But man, that one that's out on its own. That one that doesn't have somebody, the one that doesn't have its way, the one that's gone lost, that one's in some trouble. These over here, they're going to make it. They're going to be okay. But over here, this one needs my attention. Do you know that heaven is saying the same thing about our culture? Hey, he loves and he's grateful that we have church and we worship him and we put him first and we have all this stuff put together. But our eye really ought to be on the one that's wandered off. The churchless, the post-Christian, the people that have said, hey, you know what, I decided to walk this way. We need to go after them. That's where we need to be, amen? Because that's what heaven says. Luke chapter 15, verse eight doubles down on this if you have a problem with that. Luke 15, eight says, or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and tells them, my sunglasses were on my head the whole time. She says, rejoice with me. I have found the lost coin. In the same way I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of angel with God over one sinner who repents. Heaven throws a party when the lost is found. How much more so should the church be excited about reaching people? If heaven takes a minute to say, hey, those that are lost and hurting have been found and reached and loved. How much more so should the church say, hey, it's about that? Amen. But we make this mistake, and I'll show you this picture. It's a good reminder. Many of us have seen this. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. The idea should be this place is a place that people come in stumbling, bleeding, open wounds, hurting, and we rush to them and fix it. Not a place that we build where we come in and talk about how perfect we look over here. Look how good we got this museum over here. And I've been this that piece has been here for 20 years. Look how great it is. No, no, that's not what it's about. We should come in here and say, "See that blood stain over there on the carpet? That's where my neighbor got healed. See that blood stain over there? See that that happened? See where that? That's the place where this happened. That happened." That's where my daughter came back. That's where my son came back to God. Because this is a church that's for healing people, not talking about how well put together we are, amen? Because heaven throws parties for that. Mother Teresa says, a life not lived for others is not a life. William James says, the great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. The scripture says the harvest is plentiful, meaning we have great opportunity But it also says that tomorrow is promised to no man. So we can't say, oh, in a little bit, we'll get to that harvest in a little bit. If we don't plant today, we don't harvest tomorrow. Like if we aren't doing something about it now, we're not guaranteed it the next day. We need to go out and make the difference now. (laughs) Amen. So I believe there's simple ways that we can do it. Uh, we did this thing when we planted this church and it, and it kind of comes, well, it comes from the idea of Jericho where they circled Jericho and they prayed and they believed and they shouted and the walls came down. So when we were planting this church, we had the same idea. We said, hey, why don't like everywhere we go, we sort of in our minds circle everything we do in prayer. And we just believe that God will give us our city. And uh, and, and so that was kind of the idea. And so what we did is like every stoplight we were at, uh, we said, hey, you're stuck at a light instead of being mad at the red light, pray. And we said, every gas pump you pick up, like, you know, you're pumping gas, but when you put it back, hey, I pray the next person that picks this gas pump up, finds freedom in God and, and, and finds a great church to go to in our town. And amen. And so uh, restaurants we went to, <coughs> everything we did, we just, we just covered. You drive past the school, throw a prayer on it. You just, you just go, you just keep circling everything. That's one way that we can like keep ourselves in the zone when we keep our mind on others. Serving in the church, we believe is a big deal. Getting involved in all the ministries in our community we're connected to is a big deal. I believe that's how we keep in the zone. But one of the questions I would ask you is this. If all your prayers came true, would it change the world or just your life? If all your prayers came true tomorrow, would it change the world or would it just change your life? Is our mindset or our focus or our zone only on ourselves or is it on making an impact everywhere? Our mindset should be that everything we press and push through would be for the kingdom of God in a way that it makes a difference even outside of our lives, amen? You're never more like God than when you prefer others. You're never more like God than when you prefer others. But the opposite of that is you're never further away from the heart of God. when you're selfish. When you say, I need to protect this calendar and I need to protect this time and I need to keep this money and I need to keep this, you know, I got to get out of here. Oh, here comes that person. They're going to try to talk to me. I got to get out of here. That keeps us. Amen. There's this story I've shared with you before in my closing is, uh, I was making eggs one time at the house and um, I like an omelet, you know? And so uh, I'm making these eggs and my daughter who's four, she wanted to help. She was maybe three at the time. And how many know if a three-year-old get, gets involved in cracking eggs and putting them in the bowl, you know, that omelet's probably not going to turn out the way that I want it to. And uh, I remembered, like, really, God spoke to me just this whole lesson. Because she comes, she wants to be a part of it and crack these eggs and be a part of the thing. And my first instant was like, no. <laughs> like, you're not good enough you're not, you know, you don't know, you don't have enough, you're not well put together enough, you don't have all the understanding, okay? So you sit out because I need this to be right for me because I'm, a, I'm mature enough, I'm, a, I'm this. And so what God really spoke to me is like, you know what, as Christians, there's gonna be some people that come into our church and come into our lives and they're not gonna be mature enough and put together enough and have it all put together enough and they're going to get some eggshells in the way that we're doing it. But it's better for their growth and for the kingdom of God for us to just eat a little bit of eggshell in our omelet. Amen? But we get so caught up and it's got to be this way and my life's got to be this way and my calendar's got to be, everything's got to be so perfect and put together. But it's actually better for us to prefer the development and the growth and the, the livelihood of somebody else than it is our own. So what does it look like for you? to make some adjustments that we allow other peoples into our omelet-making Christianity. What does that look like for you? I don't know, but you're gonna have to pray and ask God. Amen.